0: Practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. We've been taking a look at um, different principles and uh, kind of how we want to commit to training more than trying with the goal of not being trained, but with the goal of actually being formed, so being who God has actually made us to be, where we are people of love and joy and peace, where we are people that are a non-anxious presence, where we are people that are able to not only steward our lives well, but actually overflow into the lives of those around us. And so we've looked at a, a couple of principles last week. Tammy did an outstanding job explaining the role that community plays in our development and in practicing the way of Jesus. The reason why we wanna emphasize that we're practicing is because it's not just about knowledge. In fact, sometimes we can make an idol out of knowledge. Now, knowledge is important, understanding is important. But it's actually dangerous if we're not constantly looking for what it means. Like, does it pass the so what test? Like, is it actually helping me become more like Christ? And if it's not helping me become more like Christ, then I need to to review that. I need to reevaluate that. And what I want to emphasize today is part of how it makes us more like Christ, and that is for the sake of the world. I am convinced that if I'm growing in a relationship with God, so not just knowledge, I mean, if I'm actually growing in my relationship, I am gonna love the people around me more. By the way, and I don't mean this to be facetious, genuinely, even if you don't like them, you can love people more. Liking and loving are two different things. You don't have to agree with people, you don't have to like everything, you don't have to condone everything, but you can't help it if you're in a relationship with God, if you're allowing Him to transform you from the inside out because we are practicing the way of Jesus, you will love people more. I want to take a look at two quick stories and then draw um, a couple of principles or, or signs or, or, or steps that we can take practically. So i wanted to wrap this up with us reviewing personally maybe the, the, the next step that we need to take in our current journey with God. And we're going to do that while giving you space to take part in communion. Communion is where we remember what Jesus did for us. Um, there's a little uh, t- container under your chair that's got a bit of juice in it. It's not wine, juice, uh, and a little flake. Is that the right word? Wafer. is the one I'm looking for. Um, and this represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us and the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And, and the thing is, it's not just to remember what He did for us. There's also a response required. And I think sometimes we can forget that. Like, like we, we, we may be grateful, but not actually realize that there's a response. Like, I have to question whether or not I'm actually grateful for the grace of God, the love of God, the work that He's doing in my life, the amount that He has forgiven me for and continues to forgive me of, am I actually living in that if I'm not moved to some extent to want to please Him and worship Him and to want to love others and extend grace and mercy to others? So I want to take a look at two stories that that kind of show a contrast In heart. I think the first one is a story that maybe we can relate to a little bit more. Certainly I can, I'll explain why in a moment. And then the second one is where we is where you see the heart of Jesus towards people. Because the reality is you will never ever, 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 ever lock eyes with somebody that doesn't matter to God. Never. So, first story: Luke chapter 9, verse 51 and 56. As the time drew near for, referring to Jesus, him to ascend to heaven, in other words, this was at the end of Jesus' sort of ministry time. So his disciples had been with him for three years. I think that's important. Jesus resolutely set up for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, now bear in mind, James and John have been with Jesus for three years. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? You don't have to put your hand up. You can just give me a little smile. Wouldn't you like to be able to call down fire from heaven on the odd occasion when someone is, you know, committing some great injustice or I don't know if you have a very good self-awareness, because I think most of us, there are times where it's like, I wouldn't mind if God just like, boop, like zapped someone and, and took them out, right? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went on to another village. Like, I love how simple it is. Like, okay, rebuke them, and went on to another. Like, no, no, James and John, we're not killing anyone today. Let's move on. Like, it'll be okay. Now, now we can make light of the story, and, I'm t- and honestly, jokes aside, I can relate to a part of that, where, where there have been times in my life where I am so... Bothered, so disturbed by what I even think to be the evilness in certain people. They've, they've been even just, just world leaders over the last decade or two. I'm like God, why don't you take that person out? They are they are wrecking their country. They are doing so much damage to so many people. You 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 kind of wonder why God even is it just me, or do you sometimes wonder like God, why do you even allow this person to breathe? Like just just take them out. And I think that that's a very understandable human. Emotion. But to give you a little bit of background to the story with James and John and just, just to give them a little bit of I don't know, uh to excuse their behavior a little bit. There is a story in the Old Testament of where Elijah called down fire on people and they were like burned up. And then you called on fire again and they were like burned up. But there's a bit of context to the story. You might want to go read it. The Bible's not boring, it's actually quite exciting. But just because Elijah did it, doesn't mean that that gives you a right to do that when someone cuts you off in traffic, right? Or someone doesn't do something that you want them to at work or school. To give you some perspective very quickly, there is a genuine level of indignity and even hatred between the Jews, the the sort of staunch fundamentalist religious Jews of the time and the Samaritans. The reason for that is that the Samaritans were effectively a a kind of like a mixed breed, half breed uh, group that used to be part of the same nation of Israel. A little bit of history. Is in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes of Israel that came from uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, 12 tribes. But then at some stage, 10 of the tribes, which were the northern tribes, separated from the two southern tribes, and they were known as Israel. The two southern tribes were known as Judah. And the 10 northern tribes rebelled against God before the two southern tribes, although they eventually did as well. And so god constantly warned them that they'll be taken captive if they don't kind of live the way that he's invited them to live and so they continued down that road of rebellion and so the king of assyria comes and takes israel captive and takes some of their citizens away from israel and inserts kind of like a like like an invading you know citizenry or or, or army into israel into those 10 tribes and over time the people that were originally from Israel start voluntarily intermarrying with the invading citizens. And so over time, they became known as kind of this mixed breed, half breed. They created their own place to worship in the north. And so over time, the the, the, the Jewish tribes from the south started to hate those from the north. And you can imagine, if you've been hated long enough just because of where you're from, you start hating them back. And so there was this genuine hatred between the two. And so James and John are vexed that they have the audacity to not allow Jesus in. Now, I want you to compare and contrast that story with the way that Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman. Some of you are very familiar with the story. In John chapter 4, verse 3, it says, again, referring to Jesus, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Technically, that's not actually correct. Um, Jews would often take a serious detour around Samaria to avoid Having anything to do with them. Okay? Jesus, I have, with Jesus, I don't think it's ever a coincidence. I think Jesus very deliberately went through Samaria. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sichar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now, the reason that noontime matters is that noontime is not when you come to sit at the well, noontime is not when you come. To draw water. And so, again, some of you are familiar with the story. It goes on in verse 7 to say, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Now, again, to give you some perspective, the fact that this woman from a hated people group on behalf of the Jews is not only treated with little dignity from the Jews, she's also been treated with no dignity from her fellow townspeople. The fact that she's having to draw water in the middle of the day means that she cannot go with the other ladies when they draw early in the morning when it's not so hot. And again, if you know the story, it's because she's known to be somewhat loose and she's had multiple husbands and isn't married to the one that she's with now. And so this woman's actually living with shame, not just in the eyes of the Jews, but in the eyes of her own people. I need us to understand the level of indignity that this woman is used to. And not that, not that this should be what we look for, but it might just soften our hearts sometimes to remember that hurt people hurt people, and to remember that sometimes there's a reason that there's an edge to somebody. When you've been treated with, with little dignity from the youngest possible age, when you've always been used and abused and manipulated and people just taken from you, guys, like we so often judge people on their appearance, but we want people to judge us on our hearts. I'm just saying to be a woman like this who who has been I can only imagine that she has been treated with the lowest amount of respect possible I'm guessing for years and years and years and sometimes people get used to that sometimes that becomes their identity and so that's why sometimes people might even react to you out of the identity that has been formed over years but when we see through God's eyes when we remember that there isn't a single person that we will lock eyes with that doesn't matter to God, when we, when we are spending the kind of time with God that actually causes him to affect the way we see and, and forms supernatural love and mercy and gentleness and grace and compassion, it makes a difference. I'm trying to say that, that one of the ways that we know that we are practicing the way of Jesus is if our heart for the world changes if our heart for people around us changes. Please give me a drink, he says. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse nine, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Because by the way, not only did Jews not speak to Samaritans, but Jewish men would rather probably be you know, tied up and stoned than speak to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And then, I don't have time to go through the whole story, but actually in verse 21, I love how Jesus answers a particular question of hers, and he says, believe me, dear woman. I just want you to hear that word from him, that word dear. Like there's a level of dignity that Jesus gives to her. He, his priority is connection, not correction. He first places value on her. Guys, I promise you, if you're growing in a relationship with God, you can't help but see people through His eyes, and that means that you're first going to see the person for their intrinsic value, having been created in the image of God, before you're going to be focused on and distracted by any behavior or habits that you disagree with, and probably you're going to be reminded just how many of your own habits and behaviors God has to constantly show grace and mercy to. Dear woman, imagine, imagine if you saw people who you don't like and don't respect through the eyes of, like, you're dear. You're valuable. Yeah. You matter. Then verse 26, Jesus tells her that he is the Messiah. Like I don't have time to unpack this, but it's a big deal. He hasn't told, he hasn't told anybody this. Like if you, if you think that just addressing her respectfully means something, then how much more for the creator of the universe and the Messiah of the world to choose a shamed Half bred woman at the time. I, I, I mean, side note pe- the fact that people think that Christianity in any way uh, justifies or feeds into sexism hasn't read the Bible properly. Because in that culture, Jesus was completely countercultural in the way that he gave dignity to all people, regardless of gender, race, age. Anyway, so for him to actually reveal to her, I am the Messiah, is a very big deal. And then verse 26. I love how it says that just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them, they were wusses, had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? They were shocked. And I really do believe that when our lives are being formed by God, there are going to be moments in your life where the level of grace and kindness, compassion, willingness to serve or help might actually be shocking from a countercultural point of view. I think sometimes we make the mistake of assuming that Jesus thinks the way we do. And we often look for him to agree with us. I think we'd be shocked sometimes at how Jesus looks at people. Verse 28 the woman left her water job beside the well and ran back. Like this woman's life is being changed, like in front of their eyes. She runs back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I just love that, that, that from that simple interaction with Jesus, she's, I mean, she knows that she's got like very little credit, or let's say zero credibility, but, but yet she isn't trying to convince anybody. She's just come and see. <laughs> just come and see, could he be? Yeah. Just come, just, just come and again I want to take the load off of you I want to take the burden and the responsibility off of you of of, of needing to convince anybody but can like is there like is there any confidence in the fact that Jesus is the Messiah is there any confidence that Jesus can transform a life because if there is then I think we'd be a little bit more confident saying just come and see and by come and see I'm not necessarily referring to a church service it could be a case saying hey why don't you just ask him why don't you say, God, if you're real, please can you help me with this crisis I'm going through right now? God, please would you give me peace? Please, Like, why don't we encourage people to just, and I don't mean this disrespectfully when I say this, but to just say, like, just give him a go. Like, just try. Ta- I, love that, I love that passage in the Bible where it says, just taste and see that the Lord is good. He shows her dignity, value, cor- connection more than correction. I want us to catch the difference between the hearts. And I've got to ask myself, is my heart more like James and John or is it more like Jesus? Is my heart more like James and John when I come across people that I don't like, don't agree with? And guys, nowadays, I mean, if you, if you, have, a, if you have a phone, you can get access to all kinds of vitriol, people that disagree with you. Like, there's no shortage of people that disagree. Like, I think the internet should just be, I mean, especially social media, any way that you can post and it, should just be changed to hate mail. Like, sure. hey guys, how can we hate each other? How can we disagree more and, I mean, I don't know if you, i mean, once in a blue moon I'll just pop, for, for some reason I'll get some kind of notification and pop onto Twitter and, and, just, and just read the actual, and then every now and then I'll make a mistake of actually scrolling down. And it's like, like it's toxic, yeah. toxic. And by the way, not just those sides, I, I I can't even read the comments on the bottom of like a Christian uh, article online if there's any space for comment. I'm like, how are you people even Christians? Anyway, that has got nothing to do with what I'm talking about, excepting that I've gotta ask myself, does my heart reflect James and John or does it reflect Jesus? Now the good news is, by the way, even though they had been with him for three years and you would think that they would have a little more understanding and a little more compassion, we did eventually, we do eventually see a change in their hearts after Jesus is crucified and resurrected. And, and John became known kind of like as the apostle of love, like, he's, like the key theme of his, of his gospel, the book of John, and then his epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. The key theme is exactly this. It's loving. How can you, in fact, he's on a road. How can you say you love God who you cannot see if you cannot love your brother, other people who you can see? So again, I don't want you to feel shame if you're struggling with this. I want you to have a vision and, and be stirred to know that, okay, if I'm going to walk with God, this is, this is something that can grow. This is something that can develop. So a couple of uh, signs that i think we are developing in practicing the way of jesus for the sake of the world so these are some signs but also you could look at these as steps now they're not linear and you're not necessarily going to do one then two then three then four but i do think that to some extent there is a level of progression so try and follow with me five s's yes there's alliteration number one is surrender one of the signs that i'm practicing the way of jesus is that i'm actually living a life that is surrendered where where i'm actually Shifting from only searching to also, or more importantly, actually surrendering. And, and the, the, the reason I'm saying that is because I think sometimes we get so stuck, and, and I'm someone that wants to understand. I read lots. I study lots. I, I listen lots. But I've got to remember that, that if I'm placing the emphasis on my own ability to fully understand and neglecting the role that I play in actually surrendering to God and doing what He wants, you, you can... There's a shift from just searching, 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 thinking, well, oh, when I know enough and understand enough, then I will. To, okay, maybe you need to actually surrender and, and, and you've got to know, you have to try and discern the season that you're in. But to where you actually surrender to the known. I love how Andy Stanley says, surrender to the known will of God. will pave the way to the unknown will of God. Yeah. And sometimes we're waiting until we have all the explanations and, and, the, and the full perfect Google map you know, thing is, is described Uh, only to to discover that it's not bringing you the peace that you want, as opposed to, God, help me to surrender to what I do know. And you might find that you discover that actually He does have the answers, even if He doesn't give you all the answers that you want at the time that you want it. But there is actually a principle of surrender. A sign that you're practicing the way of Jesus is that actually His will is most important. Guys, one of the prayers, whatever language you want to use for this, daily should be. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not my will, your will. For those of you that were at Team Light on Tuesday, even even the passage that Owen shared from during communion with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, like it was painful. He knew what he was about to experience. On three separate occasions, he's like, Father, if there's another way, because he he knew what that was going to cost him. If there's another way, if there's another way, please, if there's another way. But, Not my will, your will be done. You're allowed to ask for another way, but let the end of the story be uh, like, not my will, (laughs) kind of, please, like, help me to not, you know, prioritize my will over yours. Surrender. Number two, self care. Another sign that we are are growing in practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of the world is that we'll move from, from only just surviving there's a season for that but where we don't end up living like that permanently from surviving to self-care and we'll understand that self-care is not meaning selfish to self-care means that i'm going to actually get enough rest i'm going to i'm going to be secure enough with god to 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 accept limits in my life but i'm going to but i'm going to be fully present where i have responsibility god i I want i want to do what you want me to do I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to nurture my relationship with you. I'm going to get the exercise I need, the sleep I need, um, and, and I'm going to feed my mind on the right stuff. I'm going to feed my heart on the right stuff. I'm going to spend the kind of time I need to with other people, not to be selfish, not to be self-absorbed, not to be a navel gazer, but because I want to allow you to do everything possible that you want to in me and through me. That's what healthy self-cares about that's why even that passage of scriptures on the wall where jesus summed up everything in the bible all the laws and the commandments and the prophets he said he summed up in loving god and loving people but we often forget the other little part which says i mean in fact it's like really small writing at the bottom as yourself like love your neighbor as yourself. like there is an appropriate place for allowing god to love us through healthy self-care and if we ignore that for whatever reason. We are going to struggle to be a non-anxious presence. We are going to struggle to be people of love and joy and peace. That's why even the series that we're doing next week, I'm, one of my biggest burdens of concerns is that people are like, okay, oh, yeah, sure, 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 we need a rest. Like We need some rhythm. No, no. It is, in some cases, I believe is life and death if we don't have the healthy rhythms. I don't think that we can turn up the other six days of the week if we're not in the way that god wants us to if we're not if we're not recognizing god's limits anyway self-care not talking about being selfish but i think i think one of the i think one of the great questions to ask ourselves from a self-care point of view maybe every six months or a year whatever the case is is do i actually have more steel in my bones compared to a year ago do i have a greater capacity Now, no guilt or shame if you have a smaller capacity, because again, you may, you may be you may, maybe being pressed from every angle. And Paul even writes about where they, was, where they, were, so, they were under so much pressure they thought they were going to die in one of his letters to the Corinthians. Like, like, again, there's a place for that. Jesus sweating drops of blood, he was under so much pressure. There is that. But yet, in that, Jesus had steel in his bones. He's like, okay, <laughs> not my will, you'll always be done. Number three is serving. Serving. Surrender, self-care, and serving. And again, this is just helping us to move from, from a life that if we're, if no one else has to know, you don't have to confess to anybody else, but if you're honest with yourself, your life may largely revolve around yourself. But there are opportunities at home, at school, at work to, to just serve. Like, imagine if people were trying to outdo each other in Service. In helping each other. Can you imagine, moms especially and dads, if, if your family were like arguing over who's gonna wash the dishes? Prisco? <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, Tuddy. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Actually, no, know it's Tuddy, Oh, there he is, okay. <laughs> Guys serving. It doesn't have to be easy listen some people do have a gift of service yes they have a gift of helps where where, where they like just genuinely they don't they don't want to be seen they don't have to be on the stage they just want to help get stuff done yes people some people have that gift but every christian is also a servant every leader is a servant if you're leading a team if you're leading people at, at work or at school guys like that is the problem with politics is that so often we feel like like they're just in it for themselves no no You are taking on a responsibility to serve people. That's what leadership is. It's not just some nice little catchphrase. No, no. It's it's to serve. And again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. If our time with God does not change our time with people, we have to change our time with God. If our time with God doesn't change our time with people, we have to change our time with God. If I'm not becoming more open to opportunities to serve, if I'm not... I'm not growing inappropriate measures of self-care if I'm, not, if I'm not if i can't remember when last i've surrendered something to god that's not easy or comfortable or i don't have a guaranteed outcome well then i may have to change the way i spend time with god number four is stewardship stewardship moving from being stingy to stewarding what we have so so stewardship means to manage well what i have so it could be finances time energy talents, gifts, education, your personality, your charisma, your influence. Do I just see these things as, as something for me to, to make my life better? And again, I think, I think in leadership, that can often be a temptation where you can use your charisma, your, your prowess, your, 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 the sharpness of your mind, your creativity, you can use that to simply make life better for yourself. you can see it as these are gifts that God has given me that I'm going to give him an account for Matthew 25 talks about the parable probably the best known phrase is the parable of the talents but really it's where the master who represents God went away and gave three different servants different amounts of money to steward according to their ability which is why we don't ever have to compare and compete because God gives us or we can cope with according to our ability but when we're good stewards of that when we manage that well he multiplies it if you're a, a five talent person you only want to become a ten talent person handle the five talents well we have something to steward and again that's why i say especially if you're any kind of role of influence or leadership man that is like we're going to give an account for that it cannot just be to use people for our own end. The worship team can come up. Number five is simply significance, where we move from success to significance. And what I mean by that is success, as generally speaking, is defined by the world to significance as defined by God. And I think probably the, the simplest way to, to differentiate that is a, sin, a simple, single word, and that's the word eternity. Am I defining success through, th- through this world's eyes in terms of fame or power or influence or money or comfort or likes? Or am I measuring success, which again, I would use the word significance, through the lens of like, is this sowing a seed that may bear fruit for eternity? Am I just living for myself or am I actually seeing this one life as an opportunity to serve God's purposes. Now that's gonna look very different for different people. I, I am very convinced that 99% of Christians will not do that in the context of, of what we would say, full-time ministry in church. But you are in full-time ministry wherever you are, at school, at work, at college, at home. One of the great signs that we are growing in our relationship with God, that we are that we are practicing the way of Jesus. And if, and if we're not seeing this, then let's change something. One of the great signs is that I'm going to care more about God, like, am I pleasing you? Is this, like, am I measuring what you want me to measure, or, or am I measuring exactly the same as someone who has absolutely no relationship with you? Which is why our practices matter, because if my practice is to is to consume the world's definition of success through media, and maybe once in a while I'd you know, dip my toe into a little bit of scripture. Well, whose worldview am I expecting to reflect? The practice matters. Going back to the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, it goes on in verse 35. John chapter 4 verse 35 to say, you know the saying four months between planting and harvest but I say wake up and look around. Wake up and look around. Wake up. The fields already ripe for harvest. Like the Bible paints a picture that, that the, the ripeness of the harvest isn't so much the problem. It's the willingness of the workers. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people. It's always about people. It's always about people. IT can be about people. Teaching is about people. Bookkeeping, medical, caretaking, cleaning, it's ultimately it's about people. Don't think so superficially. Look beyond what you're doing to the people that are involved. The fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. That should be our measuring stick. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester? Like what joy, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester. And then Jesus goes on to actually like give an example of that in verse. 31, it says meanwhile the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have the kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food? Well, like was there Uber Eats, Mr. Delivery? Then Jesus explained my nourishment, my, my fulfillment, contentment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus is saying, Man, there is a level of nourishment, contentment that comes from walking in the purposes of God that cannot actually be compared to with just normal pleasures. Some of you may have heard of a psychiatrist and an author by the name of Viktor Frankl um, wrote one book in particular called The Search for Meaning. Shortly after his time, um, shortly after he was released from Auschwitz, he he was in... uh, concentration camps for a few years literally lost his wife, his mother, his father, his brother, his sister-in-law to just this brutal epitome of evil like it was satanic millions of people killed wrote this book soon after he came out he was a psychiatrist before that he'd actually written a manuscript that they also destroyed he landed writing this book in nine days by the way in, in the 1940s it sold 12 million copies I think they've had a hundred reprints and he went on to to form a school of psychology that that was on par with Sigmund Freud and I think it's Alfred Adler he was he was an apprentice of Alfred Adler he was a contemporary of Sigmund Freud but whereas Sigmund Freud tried to emphasize that the goal of life was pleasure Frankl believed that the goal of life was purpose and meaning and he actually went on to say that if you don't have purpose and meaning, listen to this, you'll dull your life with pleasure. Only to find out that they don't bring you pleasure anymore. Significance, meaning, purpose. Come on, guys, let's practice the way of Jesus for the sake of the world.